Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this Wednesday episode. Today we have Emily in place of Shannon. Shannon is away taking care of our elders, and Emily is going to be standing in her clone. Of course, some people might say she has my height and looks a little bit like me. I'm not sure about that, Many but I might be just to be in the mini you. Would agree. I think you got your attitude from your mom, though. <laughs> Possibly. I, def- I definitely think, <laughs> I think so. Anyways, she's going to be doing inspiration for us today, and then we're going to jump off into discussions about pedestrian fatalities and the other topics that do involve that. And then, of course, we also got to talk about the breaches of the dams that are being discussed at the federal and state level. So we'll jump into those discussions after inspiration. The inspiration today is titled, Jesus is the Answer. The tale is told that after yet another stop on Albert Einstein's lecture tour, his chauffeur mentioned that he'd heard enough of the speech that he could give it. Einstein suggested they switch places at the next college, as no one there had seen his picture. The chauffeur agreed and delivered a fine lecture. Then came the question-to-answer period. To one aggressive inquirer, the chauffeur replied, I can see you're a brilliant professor, but I'm surprised you would ask a question so simple that even my chauffeur could answer it. Then his chauffeur Albert Einstein himself, did answer it. So ends the fun but fictional story. Daniel's courageous three friends were truly on the hot seat. King Nebuchadnezzar threatened to throw them into a blazing furnace if they didn't worship his idol. He asked, What god will be able to rescue you from my hand? The friends still refused to bow, so the king heated the furnace seven times hotter and had them tossed in. They didn't go alone. An angel, perhaps Jesus himself, joined them in the fire, keeping them from harm and providing an undeniable answer to the king's question. Nebuchadnezzar praised the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and conceded that no other god can save in this way. At times we may feel in over our heads, but Jesus stands with those who serve him. He'll carry us. Jesus, you're the answer when there's no answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Jesus is the answer, and, you know, you would hope that Jesus has become the answer for so many people that died in fatalities over the last couple of years. You know, Washington State had that uh, zero fatality program. They get to zero vehicular deaths in Washington State. That was one of their things. Project Zero, I think they called it. And it hasn't really worked out. I think there's been more deaths in Washington State on the roadways since they started the Zero Fatalities program. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But Emily, I've got you in the studio today. So you want to, in public policy, increase the quality of life, reduce safety issues, you know, crime, murder, vehicular accidents. You know, we put in stop signs, our tax dollars pay for all sorts of things. So let's say you worked in an industry and you had to come up with ideas to reduce injuries in the workplace. You know, you had forklift accidents, people that are, you know, getting injured on the job, breaking their arms, falling off of platforms because there's not hand railing or something. So you put up hand railing and then you still have people just getting injured in the workplace, losing fingers, things like that. And you realize that a bunch of the people that were getting injured were also intoxicated or had some kind of uh, drug use that was, uh, you know, in their blood when they were injured. 
I think the policy to solve that wouldn't be to put more paint on the ground around the warehouse or around the workplace. It wouldn't be to have safety monitors doubled in numbers. It would be, oh, well, we have a high factor of people that are walking off these platforms or falling down the stairs because they're looking at their cell phones and they also have marijuana in their system, right? Maybe you would drug test to I, try. Yes, that so, would be the first part of the policy is to drug test so because pr- if that's a big issue. Like yes. pre-employment drug testing. Okay, yes. well, just so you know, I, and I know that a lot of folks might not know this, but Washington State has uh, passed a law that's going to be coming into effect in January here that will reduce the amount of employers and employees that have to do or require drug testing for pre-employment Hmm. So I, I wonder that, I wonder how that's going to help with all the fatalities and the issues that employers are having and being sued for because their employees are well, making an, not smart choices. Well, an increased insurance that the company has to pay for exactly. L- labor and industries. Which also affects the industries because then they go out of business because they can't afford to handle everybody else's... Negligence? Yes. So, interestingly enough... We're going to segue that topic of the new law coming into place with another topic having to do with pedestrian fatalities. A week ago in the Spokesman Review, there was an article that talked about uh, Spokane being awarded $9.2 million to overhaul safety, install bike lanes, and as well, they're going to be getting local city is going to be spending $2.4 million of its own money. So you're looking at a total of 12 million bucks? Quite a bit. Quite a bit of money. And it's a lot of money if you don't know what you're doing with the money to actually solve a problem. Is it going to increase safety or is it just going to increase spending? Right, because this is, this is for their reward for being safe. Well, this is to, it's a prevention grant. Basically, it's a grant for the city of Spokane to try to reduce fatalities. And and what's interesting is they kind of put together some articles here. One is the spokesman and the other New York Times, where American fatalities from pedestrians, it's happening mostly at night. Uh, There's been a lot of increases in the evenings, and these are nationwide statistics. But there's other things that are also occurring nationwide. And in these articles, when when they lay out the underlying issues that cause so many of the pedestrian fatalities it's similar to what we were talking about earlier and not just workplace injuries workplace fatalities but that project zero to have zero fatalities on washington highways when we've actually had more and most of it had to do with you know drug use cell phone use things of that nature the the solution according to what the grant money is going to be spent on 3.8 million dollars so like a third of the money is going to be spent on bike lanes and removing travel lanes for vehicles. Also, it's going to include green paint at intersections. You know, you've seen those, the green painted intersections for greenways. You have the crosswalk. I've seen it at my college. Right. Well, because that's, it's a greenway. So you've got bike lane and pedestrians. So you have your crosswalks around the city Sometimes in front of driveways, there'll be green paint in front of the driveway so that people know that a bicycle could be there. And obviously creating visibility for people. I think one of the problems, too, with the pedestrian deaths is you have a lot more people wandering around at night than you used to. Most people 
You were supposed to go home when the streetlights came on, right? They also wear all black. There you go. They're, they're wearing all black. <laughs> you can't see them. They're not wearing colors I mean, that are actually visible. The, the only reason why you can see them and they're more visible is because of the lit up screen that they're staring at when they walk into moving traffic. Exactly. You know, so that's, that's uh, another issue. Drug addiction is way up. That's another thing that we, obviously pedestrians, the more people wandering around high on something, they may not be looking for They don't for have cars. the wherewithal when they're on a substance that takes away their cognitive abilities. Right, exactly. So is is it more paint and designated bike lanes, is that going to help the pedestrian deaths? In reading both the articles, I actually didn't find that the solution that's being funded is actually going to solve the problem. Even in some of the article, we'll just we'll just lay out a couple pieces of it. Sometime around 2009, American roads started to become deadlier for pedestrians, particularly at night. Fatalities have risen since, reversing the effects of decades of safety improvements, and it's not clear why. So that's the beginning of the article by the New York Times. So the article talked about darkness, of course, people not being very visible at night, like we were talking about, Mm -hmm. people wearing dark clothes. But it really didn't lay out, it's not, a, it, it did say it's not clear why. In the article, it does talk about homelessness and it talks also about cell phone use. The most obvious potential risks that have changed in America since 2009 are found inside vehicles, in drivers fiddling with smartphones, in the dashboard displays that have grown more complex, and the growing weight and force of the vehicles, the weight of the vehicles themselves. Smart phones have become ubiquitous with remarkable speed overlapping closely with the timeline of rising pedestrian deaths apple iphones for example was introduced in 2007 with in a few years one-third of american adults said they owned a smartphone by 2021 according to pew research center 85 percent of adult americans had smartphones well there's also a large number of youth that have smartphones. There's also a num- larger number of youth in the last couple of decades who are on marijuana or on other drugs that reduce their cognitive decision-making skills. So to solve these problems, bike lanes are not going to do it. I don't see That's how bike lanes at all, even at night, bike lanes are not lit up. Bike lanes don't really have much, and bikes tend to like to ride on the edge of that line, not giving vehicles the actual space within a lane to avoid them properly, especially if there's another car next to them. That's right. Well, and I think, too, we can't just blame the pedestrians that might be high on something or wearing all dark clothes, but we also need to look at the drivers that are out there. Look around across the country. What also has happened in the last few years when it comes to people that could be potentially driving. Oh, we legalized marijuana. Half the country is legalized marijuana. So you see a lot more accidents, not just involving pedestrians, but otherwise as well. So the solution to this is giving grants. And it's funny because the spokesman review put these articles side by side a week ago in the paper as if it was great that Spokane being awarded this money and that our own local city is going to spend $2.5 million for this because the solutions don't solve the problem that was put in the article right next to it. They just make it worse. 
Um, I don't know that they make it worse. I mean, obviously, we'd have to study that over time. We'd have to, you know, look at if there was any reduction in in fatalities. But I, I think that enforcement of laws having to do with public drunkenness and intoxication otherwise with other, with other drugs. The other piece in here that's big that we really didn't talk about was the homeless problem. Of course, I often on this show, I talk about how the homeless problem is a drug problem mostly. Right. And of course, they just cross the street. They just walk out there. They just literally walk out right in front of you. I've had people, I'm driving around my work parking lot, and I had a younger gentleman, probably around my age. I don't know if he was high, but he was looking down on his phone. And luckily, you know, being a attentive driver, I stop and he stood in front of my car. It's one of those things. And then when you're driving the road, you have random homeless people with blankets, dropping things in the middle of the road, walking out in the middle of the road. And you have yeah. no idea. You're, you're having to stop. Most people are not being attentive while driving. So Well, they've got all their devices. They got their cell phone going off. They got the cell phone that's lit up on the dash. They've got their, right, too their, many distractions. the screen on their vehicle. I mean, one of the things that drives me nuts at night is how bright these screens are. Some of them, you can turn them down, but... It doesn't seem like you can turn them down enough, and most people don't no. do that. Really, we should just have those screens off while we're driving because you got this light that is in front of you. Even if your dash lights are too bright, it's going to affect your ability to see out into the darkness. And it's unfortunate that we don't have common sense lawmakers that want to actually solve the problem. Instead, they just want to keep on funding their agendas that don't actually solve the problems and and it was perfectly laid out i think by the local paper here if you read through the articles that bike lanes and other recreational amenities are not going to really solve the problem it's changing laws enforcing laws that have to deal with operating vehicles and being a pedestrian we don't even cite people for breaking most of the laws unless you run a red light we don't cite people for jaywalking or, or crossing where not just where there's not an intersection but they cross when the light's green going the other way right. of course there's cars coming around the corner that are looking at the green light they're not looking because they have so, the mentality that oh pedestrian has the right of way so i'm going to do whatever i want and go when i want yeah, the entitlement issue is there, but I think enforcement would be important. I think that actually having law enforcement hired that are looking for public safety hazards and citing individuals who are not following the laws or using common sense to either uh, avoiding accidents, whether it's vehicles or pedestrians or bicyclists that are you know operating on a public space in a way that's going to create uh, hazard and liability for others. Anyways, we're going to take a break. We're going to come right back and we're going to talk about those dams because I really like food and electricity. We'll be right back. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane, WA 99207. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this Wednesday episode where we've got Emily standing in for Shannon with us today. We did talk in the first half about the pedestrian accidents and things. And in that article, they actually did on the New York Times side of the article talk about how the homeless encampments and the homeless, obviously people that are drug addicted oftentimes, 
not always, but oftentimes, are increasing these accidents. And it was interesting because that week ago paper, just five days later, there was an article that came from the Washington Post talking about homelessness soaring at 12% increase as COVID support ends, according to HUD, Housing and Urban Development. More than 650,000 people were homeless in the U.S., in a single night in January of last year. So they're looking at these increases in homelessness and you see these encampments and you see people that are obviously sleep deprived maybe because they're trying to sleep outdoors. Maybe it's because they're high on something on a regular basis and they're getting hit by vehicles. So just to wrap up that coverage, I thought it was interesting that the newspaper put it together like that because it, it, we do got to find the truth. And there's been a ton of news coverage over the last couple weeks by the local newspaper, but it's also made national news because the Northwest is about to be transformed if our lawmakers don't understand the reality of infrastructure that we have uh, become reliant on. It's like, let's just make air conditioning illegal in Arizona, See how many residents stay. That would be bad. You know, <laughs> ma- ma- make air conditioning, you know, outlaw it in Texas and see how much of the population decides to stay. So there's just certain things that obviously we've invested in over centuries. People have made improvements on engineers and people that were wise that said, hey, they, they said we were all going to starve to death years back. We were going to run out of resources. The world's going to go hungry. And more people are fed today than when they were making those predictions decades ago. And part of the reason why is we're smart. We use technology. We use irrigation. And it's not like technology that was created yesterday. This was not an invention by the people that want to try to power the world with solar panels and, and wind turbines. These were engineers that put together like the the dam systems that we have that figured out a way to grow massive amounts of food that we send all over the world from the Northwest. But they also create a big part of our energy. It's interesting too, because it was not that long ago that I heard, I think it was on the Glenn Beck program that he made a, a statement that if the dams were breached, some small towns would just dry up and blow away. But it's way worse than that. It's not just that the towns would dry up and blow away. There'd be a ton of people that no longer have jobs in industries that create food. So there's going to be food that's that's now shipped all over the world that is no longer there. It's going to create more food shortages all over the world. It's not just that those, those places would blow away. They would turn into, instead of fields of food being grown and jobs that cultivate that ground and cultivate that farm and cultivate that orchard and and cultivate the the production of food it would be a wasteland of solar panels and wind turbines that had to be subsidized by the government to be installed so you'd also have farmers whose transition of wealth would go from producing needed resources to being a huge amount of acreage in our state that would be dedicated just to replacing the energy that we already are producing. I mean, we made huge investments in the dam systems to create energy and jobs and agricultural windfalls. 
all pun intended. And in those agricultural windfalls, uh, people were fed, people got jobs, and none of that would exist. And it made sense to make that investment at the time. Now we want to take 10 or 12 or 20 times the money just to try to replace what we already have and we decimate whole industries. Yeah, the article from the Spokesman Review is from the Biden administration who is partnering with tribes to restore salmon habitats. So within this article, it's it's talking about breaching four of the dams over here in the Northwest, specifically looking at the Columbia River Basin. They're looking at breaching at the lower Snake River. This dam creates so much energy. Yeah, it does create a whole lot of energy. Actually, the state of California recognizes hydropower as green energy, clean energy, but Washington state doesn't. And so that's why our power bills are higher than they should be. But we're talking about dams that create enough energy that they could solely solely power the whole area of Seattle. Yeah. So specifically from the article, it states that the four lower snake dams were constructed in the 60s and 70s. And together they can generate the hydropower to support the entire big grid of the population for Seattle. That's a lot of people. Well, that's the largest population in our state. And and so the other thing is that the alternatives they're talking about are not reliable. It, no. it, it's totally insane. People that want to get away from carbon combustion engine engines. The carbon footprints. Now they want to get rid of the cleanest source of energy we have. It's already been shown that the solar panels take lots of toxic chemicals. They're not recyclable. It's already been shown that the wind turbines, that when they go down, they're not recyclable. Those those fins on the wind turbines are not recyclable. And they're you just, can't use that ground for many years them. after. No. Well, it's also you know a big thing about the migratory birds that are being taken out by these, you know, there's even been pictures taken of eagles and hawks that were, you know, laying on the ground below these wind turbines yeah. because they're flying by and the wind turbine comes. So it doesn't make sense to breach these things. And of course, the salmon habitat, the fish habitat, I love fishing. I think that it's great, but we got to come up with other solutions, whether it's better fish ladders and, you know, technology that, you know, even infrastructure maybe that helps the fish around the dams. And that's what should be being discussed. And I think that this is going to be a big money grab, probably by the tribe's leaders, that they would they want payoffs. Because breaching the dams is not uh, logistically, and, unless they want to see the actual plans of the Department of Fish and Wildlife carried out where there's no longer human beings that live in this region. Well, and the other big problem that they're not really taking much into account is the irrigation the dams, just the four from the Snake River, supply irrigation for that entire area. So we're not really thinking about the irrigation and all the farmers where Talking we're getting our food. Hundreds of thousands of acres of food. Yeah, well, if we get rid of that dam, we're going to lose all the irrigation for these farmers and it's going to become a desert and you well, can't use that land. But for the climate, you know, activists, for the people that think, you know, the world's going to end in a couple of years, if, you know, we don't have salmon if we don't get rid of more human beings living on the planet like in the northwest where we use the resources of the dams this is a win-win situation you stop the food production people leave you 
get rid of the jobs, people leave. You make power hard to come by and more expensive, people, people leave. People leave. So it's a win-win for them. And not only that, then the farmer's land is no longer worth anything for agriculture. So it's going to be cheap for them to either pick it up or to lease the land from the farmers that are now bankrupt to install more wind turbines and solar fields. Yeah. Well, and going back to the hydropower, which is the cleanest power we can get, this is from Kurt Miller, who is from the Northwest Public Power Association. He said that the hardest part of this is when we heard the press conference today hearing from Governor Inslee say that there was essentially a broad consensus around this agreement and that for Miller, he said that this is absolutely untrue and that a reasonable person would consider the utilities that depend on the hydropower system. We have so many things that depend on our hydropower since it is the cleanest power we can get. Our wind turbines don't create much energy. They use more energy than they create. That's right. Well, and that's part of the problem with the electric cars is they actually have a bigger carbon footprint than uh, an economical combustion engine. And, and because it takes so much rare earth minerals, you got to dig up mountains to build these uh, batteries for the electric cars. And it, it, it makes absolutely no sense to say, well, we want fish habitat, so we're just going to let most of the water drain out to the ocean. I think that if we went back, not that we can, but if we went back and we studied the amount of fish that could be in these rivers, yeah, of course, it's been diminished because there was dams that were put in the way and fish ladders weren't properly installed to uh, mitigate these issues back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s when these dams, 60s when these dams were being created. But let's put the fish ladders in. The amount of water that's available for fish habitat is 100 times what it would be if there was no dams in place. Well, in the article, it specifically states from Inslee that, from his perspective, that we must act now to invest in replacing the dam's benefits in order to make breaching a viable policy action. He said that these investments can best ensure a future that includes healthy an abundant salmon and steelhead, re- reliable and affordable energy systems, a robust economy, and valuable ecosystem services throughout the Columbia River Basin. However, he's going to tear apart the whole entire ecosystem that's already been in place there for many years. For decades. So for, for you're you're looking at your ecosystem. Almost 100 years. Yeah. There's places where the dams have created new ecosystems that were just built on top of the existing ecosystems because there's much more water. There's much more water for habitat. If you look at the populations of wildlife that are served by these bodies of water that don't dry up to a trickle, right? Right. That obviously, look at the recreational benefits. I know that there's a lot of steelhead fishermen and salmon fishermen that follow this misguided idea of breaching the dams, and that way there's more fish. Sure there is. But truly, there won't be. Well, you're not going to put that $100,000 bass boat in a trickle of water and they're going to make it out. They're going to outlaw it anyways, because there's not enough room for your propeller to be in the water and the fish. You're going to be chewing up the fish when they're spawning. So the recreational opportunities are going to go away. There's whole industries around the recreational opportunities, the boating, the tackle shops, the bait shops, the look at the state revenues that come in from people licensing their boats and buying fishing licenses and all of those things. What is going to be the impact in the lawsuits that occur from people that bought waterfront property? 
are they going to be farmers are they going to be claiming a lot of farmers too but even people that have um you know vacation properties or they purchased a vacation retirement home and they have property right on the the waterway is their property now going to extend 100 yards or 500 yards or a half a mile where the new water line is or is the federal government or the tribes going to now control that what was waterfront property? And I think that's one of the biggest issues is now they're trying to control its flow, yet it's not only just the flow of the water, but now it's going to be the flow of the amount of energy that area is going to have and can utilize. And you're not going to need the energy because the people are going to leave, the jobs are going to leave. And, that is also true. And I think... Jay Inslee needs to study this a little bit more. I think the Washington legislature needs to look at this a little bit more because as the articles that we've continued to cover and we'll be covering in the next week or two, the amount of money our state wastes on their agendas, they're not going to have that money when the taxpayers leave because there's no food, no power, and a whole lot of bad ideas to destroy farmland with solar farms and wind turbines. We're out of time for today's show. Thanks for joining us this Wednesday. Thanks, Emily, for helping out. We'll be with you folks again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.